1 Corinthians chapter 3. I, this is Paul speaking, the Apostle Paul, writing to the Corinthian church. And he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. The, the King James Version says God gave the increase. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. I planted, Apollos watered, but God brought the growth. Lord, would you bless your word this morning, the reading of your word, and would you allow me to communicate your word in a way that's understandable, relatable, and transformational. Lord, I thank you so much, God, for the truth of your word this morning, and we ask you to open our hearts and minds to receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. Today, we're continuing a series uh, that we started a few weeks ago called Let's Go. That's all about going out and getting out of our comfort zone and sharing the good news of Jesus with people we know. A few weeks ago, we handed out these Faith for the Five cards where you received this and, and you filled one out and you left one with us so that we could pray with you about it. And if you didn't, weren't here a few weeks ago or you didn't get one of these, I left a few on each section of seats. And so you can grab one of those and fill it out. And this is just five people that you are devoting to praying for, for them to enter into a relationship with Jesus. And so if you haven't done that yet, I want you to do that. And there should be two cards in your section and you can drop one off with us at the end of service so that we as your pastors can be praying and agreeing with you for the salvation of those five people that you're praying for, people that you know, people that you care about, people that you love. And so we're going to kind of continue on this theme. Let's go. Let's get out of our comfort zone. Let's get out of the four walls of the church and let's share the good news of Jesus with people who don't know him. How many knows that there's a few people in Yale County that still don't know Jesus? I know you thought they were all saved, but they're not, okay? There's people out there that need Jesus. Just write down, they live next door to you. They work next to you every day at work. They they're in the classroom next to you at school. They're in the desk next to you at school. There are people who still need to know Jesus. There are people in this county that have never even heard a true and real account of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And so that's a shame, really, because there's, there's a church on every corner in this county, but there are still people who have never had an adequate witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's our job description. Come on. And so that's what we're going to do, and that's what this series is all about, is talking and, and reaching people and sharing with them the good news of Jesus. And today's message is going to be a very practical, down-to-earth, sort of a, a, a how-to message for sharing your faith and establishing or cultivating conversations with people about Jesus. So this message today is simply called Cultivating Conversations. And in this series, I want to be clear about a couple of things when we're talking about this. Jesus did not tell his followers to go and make converts. 
Jesus did not tell his followers to go and make converts. A conversion experience is a one-time thing. It's often a quick thing. Here are the ABCs of salvation. Here's a little patty cake prayer for you to pray and pray the sinner's prayer. Here's a card to sign. And then you pat each other on the back and you said, all right, boys, let's go. Let's let we should be proud of ourselves because we caught us another one. And that's just a conversion experience with no follow up. But Jesus did not tell his disciples to go and rack up a scoreboard of converts. Instead, Jesus says, go, therefore, and make disciples. There's a difference there. A convert is a one-time thing. You had a change of mind in a one-time instance. A disciple, though, is a, a lifelong journey of following Jesus, becoming a student of God's Word, and a man or a woman who is walking through life becoming more and more like Jesus. Disciple really is, in the New Testament context, it's just another word for student. Another word for follower and someone that follows, that studies, that that disciplines themselves in the message, in the story and in the truth of Jesus. So we're not just supposed to have a one time conversion experience. That's an initiation into a lifelong discipleship experience. Come on. And so when we're talking about sharing our faith, I'm not just talking about now, there's a place for this, and this is a good thing, but I'm not just talking about going and knocking on doors and crossing someone off your list. Well, I told them about Jesus, and so I'm done. It's up to them now. No, we're talking about going alongside someone for the long haul and walking with them through life, leading them closer and closer to Jesus because discipleship is a process. If you're taking notes, discipleship is a process process. I know that we live in a microwave and a text message, Snapchat generation where we love everything instantly and on time. But listen, discipleship is not an instantaneous thing. Entering into a life of discipleship, that happens in an instant. But the rest of it is a lifelong process. And so we're having a series right now on evangelism. And evangelism is the initiation of the lifelong discipleship process. It's the beginning of the discipleship process. It's the on-ramp. It is sharing the good news. That Greek word evangel, that word means good news. It's the, the English word of evangel is gospel or good news. It's, it's the good news of who Jesus is, and evangelism is, is good newsism right? It's saying it's just practicing sharing the good news of Jesus with people who haven't heard it or don't know about it. It's introducing someone to the good news of Jesus Christ, his life, his teaching, and ultimately his death and resurrection, which provided a way for us to have eternity with the Lord God and eternal life and in the kingdom of God. Several years ago, there were some studies done and some Christian leaders came together uh, to, to kind of develop an understanding of what the discipleship process is really like. And, and they have found through, through studying God's word and through studying people, disciples of Jesus, that evangelism and discipleship is sort of like on a continuum or on a spectrum. And every human being in existence falls somewhere on the spectrum of evangelism and discipleship. This is an illustration for you, okay? You didn't know you were going to have graphs and lines today in church, but listen, this is an illustration. You've got negative 10. Now, that's someone that maybe is a, an absolute 
just, they're, they've decided they're an atheist. They're, they're going to always be an atheist. They're, they just don't want anything to do with God. They've done the research. They've, they've gotten their ideas. They've established they are totally against the existence of a spiritual life, the existence of spiritual things. They're, they're totally against that idea. That's a negative 10. Maybe a little step, few steps further and you've got a negative 8. And maybe they're a agnostic. They're someone that just says, well, maybe there's a God, but there's no way to know there's a God, and it really doesn't make a difference anyway. But there's, there's a possibility that there's a God out there. And then you could go and you could get to like a negative six, and they might be someone who they're, they're open to the possibility that there are things in this world that we can't see and that we can't know, but they're maybe interested in that. Maybe they practice that, but they're not really dedicated to that. They're just, they're just aware that it's there. And then maybe you got a negative five or a negative four that they believe there's a God, but they just believe in the wrong one or they believe some wrong things about God or they they are not living a life devoted to God or maybe they're practicing another religion and they're they're practicing a, a worshiping a false God or false multiple gods. Right. And then you could get to like a negative two or a negative one. And that's someone that acknowledges God and sees that God is real and sees that the scriptures are true, but it doesn't hasn't made a change in their life yet. They haven't come to a place where they've they've made that decision to be a disciple to follow Jesus and so when you get saved that's just taking you to zero I know you thought when you got saved everything was good and no you're zero at, at when you got saved you're it's just a clean slate it's just everything's been wiped clean and it's the start of a process right and then the rest of your life you're going down the journey of discipleship, moving up the scale of spiritual maturity. And so well, you might be a 10 and be 18 years old. And you might be a negative 2 and be 75 years old. Because it's not about age, it's about where you are in your walk with the Lord. And so discipleship, listen, discipleship and evangelism is not always taking a negative 7 to a 0. Sometimes evangelism is taking a negative seven and getting them to a negative five, and you just got them a little bit closer. And then maybe someone else comes along. That's what Paul's talking about. He said, I planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the growth. So your encounter with someone sharing your faith with them, you might not get them to a zero, but you might get them to a negative four. And then you've planted a seed and someone else comes along and shares the good news of Jesus with them and shares their testimony with them and shares and it bumps them a little further up the scale. And notice it doesn't end when you get to zero. And then the discipleship process begins where it's still our job to have encounters and conversations with people that take them further down the scale, closer to Jesus. Come on. That's what this is all about. We're not And so this should take some pressure off of some people. When you share Jesus with people, it doesn't always mean that you're going to take them to a place where they say the sinner's prayer. It might just be that you encourage them and bump them up the scale just a little bit more. And so every time you share with someone, you pray with someone, you buy them their coffee, you spend some time with them, you tell them a story, you tell them about how God did something in your life, hopefully... You're just responsible for doing it because it says Paul planted, Apollos watered. Who gave the growth? You didn't. You didn't do it. You didn't bump them up the scale. The Holy Spirit drew them further. God gives the growth. And so it's only our job to cultivate the conversation to get people from this end of the scale to that end of the scale further down the road. And here's the thing. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you need someone in your life who's further down that's bumping you up the scale. 
And so there's never a time where you're just saying, I've arrived. See, that's just, there's an arrow at the end of that line. It keeps going. It doesn't end at 10. It keeps going until you're with the Lord in eternity and you've been sanctified, glorified, and you've just been placed all and perfected in Jesus in the presence of the Lord when you're in heaven. It keeps going. And so you're always looking for someone to bump further up the scale. That's what evangelism and discipleship looks like. From the moment that you get have that encounter with them, you're taking them further and further down the scale closer to Jesus. Uh, that line, it goes on to infinity. You start a life where you are, are knowing and learning and exploring about God, and you'll spend your rest of your life growing in grace and in faith and in wisdom in God's Word. Because the Scripture says God will take you from glory to glory and from faith to faith. He will take you further down the line. And so evangelism and discipleship goes hand in hand. You don't stop evangelizing and start discipleship. It's all a process. Are y'all following me? Come on. And so this is here. What you need to hear is you don't have to be the one to get them to zero. You just have to get them further down the line. Come on. That's the goal. Second Peter 118 or second Peter one verse eight says the more you grow, the more productive and useful you will be for the Lord Jesus Christ. So this line represents growth in your relationship with the Lord. We used to, when I worked at Teen Challenge, we would have most of the, the students that came, they were teenage young men that were struggling with some kind of addiction or substance abuse or behavioral issue, and almost none of them chose to come to that program that was a year long. No teenager says, yeah, I want to go somewhere for a year and, and sit in church every day, you know, and no, no teenager wants to do that, okay? And so they would come in, and they would be very angry sometimes, and they would be very upset that their parents brought them there. And here's the thing that we started, we started to make a shift in. There was this idea that discipleship began when they finally made a commitment to follow Jesus. But we chose to say, no, the minute they stepped over the threshold of this door, no matter how they feel about God, discipleship has begun. Because even if they're at a negative eight or a negative seven, it's our job to get them further down the line. And so the pastor's job, the minister's job, the Christian's job, the mentor's job is not to just sit back and wait until you get to the zero. It's to take time with you and walk you through the process to get you closer and closer to the point that you're ready to begin a life living for Jesus. And and then where evangelicals have messed up is we get them to zero and we drop it. Oh, we got them saved and we can add that to our statistics for the year. No, it keeps going and you keep bumping them further down the scale. And we, you find a good church and you find a Bible study to be a part of. You find a mentor, someone who's further along their life, uh, along in their life with the Lord, and they take you further and further down the scale. Evangelism initiates the process. Discipleship continues the process. And if you and I call ourselves disciples of Jesus, then that means that we are obligated, that we are called, that we are commanded to use our time, energy, and resources to get as many people on down this line as possible, further down the line, not just to zero, but to be disciples the rest of their life. That's our job. That's why we have church. That's why we have preaching. That's why we have prayer time. That's why we have Sunday night prayer service. That's why we have Wednesday night kids and youth. That's why when one of these days we're going to open a nursery back up. That's why, because the nursery isn't just babysitting, it's discipleship. 
And Wednesday night isn't just a fun time, it's discipleship. And Sunday night isn't just a time to get together in fellowship, it's discipleship. And what we're doing right now is not just a speech, it's discipleship. Hopefully it's bringing you further and further down the line because it's our job, not my job as the pastor, our job as believers to make disciples. Disciples are always supposed to make more disciples. Come on. And disciple makers make disciple makers. If you start to become a disciple maker and you start to disciple other people, they will catch what you give them and they'll become disciple makers and it will multiply. Come on. Every human being is on the line somewhere, whether they're saved or not, born again Christians or not. It's our job as disciples of Jesus when we meet someone, when we make friends with someone, when we get to know someone, we have to ask, what can I do as a follower of Jesus to help this person move further down the line? I, I, pay attention to that. I want you to hear it. It is our job as believers, as disciples of Jesus, that anytime we meet someone, make friends with someone, get to know someone, we should be asking in our mind, Holy Spirit, what can I do in this conversation and in this interaction with this person to get them further down the line and closer to you. I want you to start thinking that way about relationships at your workplace and in your community and in, 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 in your neighborhood. I want you to start thinking every conversation and interaction I have. I don't necessarily have to be the one that sees the increase, that sees the salvation happen, but it's my job to get them closer and closer, further and further down the line in every conversation and in every interaction. Paul said, I planted Apollos watered. God gave the increase. He's saying to the Corinthian church, he says, I planted this church. I'm the one that told you about Jesus. I started this church. I'm here for you. I, I was there for you. You're the one that first heard about Jesus from me. I laid a foundation. Paul is really great at mixed metaphors. He's talking about a garden at one point, and he's talking about a house at another point. He's saying he's painting a picture here. Your life is like a garden. Your life is like a house that's being built. I started the process. I planted the seed. And just because someone else is now cultivating that seed and watering that seed and building that house, that doesn't mean I did any less or they did any more. We're all in this together because it's all about God bringing the growth in your life and God bringing the house of your life. So I planted, Apollos came along, he's their pastor now, he's saying, and he's watering what I've already planted, he's cultivating it, he's pulling the weeds out of your garden, he's framing walls and hanging drywall in the over the foundation that I laid, and, and, and so evangelism then doesn't mean that the whole garden is up to you. And discipleship doesn't mean that building the whole house is one person's job. You've got, you've got a, a partnership between us and other believers and the Holy Spirit where something begins to grow and something begins to be built in that person's life. Now, studies have shown that it takes the average person hearing the message of the gospel seven to ten times before they ever come to a place where they've committed their life to Jesus. I think if you would think back at your life, when you first came to faith in Christ, most of us in the room would say, I didn't receive Christ the first time I heard about him. I didn't even receive Christ the second time I heard about him. It took me some time. It took uh, 
different people planting seeds in my life and different people uh, encouraging me. And, and they came along and they would drop a seed of faith in me. And someone else would come along and they would water that seed until finally that faith sprouted and grew. And I, I made a commitment to follow Jesus. Most likely, your salvation and my didn't happen all of a sudden. And it wasn't a coincidence. There was a partnership, a cooperative act between the Holy Spirit and other Christians. The Holy Spirit drawing and cultivating and growing, other people planting in my life, other people watering in my life. And so it's a process. It's, it's uh, planting seeds of faith in people's life. It's encouraging and, and cultivating those seeds and that, that growth in their life. It's, it's driving one nail at a time into the house as you're building it. It's taking it one piece at a time. And that's our job, to have an encounter with a friend, a relative, a child, a coworker, and think, what can I do or say to help this seed grow in their life? What can I do or say to help build something in their life and build them up? What can I do or say that's going to take them from a negative seven to a negative five, from a negative five to a negative two, to a negative two to a zero? What's going to take, what's going to take after they get saved? Now they're just a baby Christian, but how am I going to get them further down the line? That's our job description. I have found in my experience and the experience of many others that the often the best way to help bring someone further down this scale and further down this line is through true, genuine conversation. Notice what I didn't say here. Most often, what brings someone further down the line of discipleship and evangelism is true, genuine, caring conversation. Not a sermon, not a lecture, not a Facebook debate, not a sarcastic political meme, not one of those click and share and type amen and God will bless you kind of posts. That's not evangelism. That's just spam. Okay? Not an argument. A conversation. In fact, things like lectures and Facebook debates and sarcastic posts and arguments, they can actually have the opposite effect and drive someone further down the line instead of further up the line. Can I say this? Some of y'all are better evangelists for the Republican Party than you are for Jesus. I know because I'm your Facebook friend. We don't worship an elephant. We worship a lamb. When you post, is this post going to take my Facebook friends this way on the line or that way on the line? What is this post showing people about Christians? They know you go to church. We live in a small town. They know where you go to church. Not a lecture, not a Facebook debate, not an argument, but cultivating a true, genuine, real, caring relationship with someone who doesn't know the Lord. Look at Jesus for an example. How did Jesus win people over in the Bible? I think if you go back and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will find that some of Jesus' most effective ministry was sitting around a table talking with someone and having a conversation. Think about Zacchaeus, the tax collector, hiding up in the tree, 
no respectable religious person would have ever gone and had a conversation with Zacchaeus, the tax collector, much less gone to his house. But Jesus was intentional. He knew exactly which tree Zacchaeus was hiding in and walked straight to that tree, called him by name and said, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house to share a meal with you. The Bible doesn't say what they talked about, but something happened in that conversation around the table while they're eating their fried chicken. And Zacchaeus's life is transformed and changed. Think about Nicodemus and John. He's a Pharisee. He's a teacher. He's embarrassed, so he, he, by cover of night, he sneaks over to where Jesus is teaching. And he starts asking Jesus questions. And it's where we get famous verses like, you've got to be born again. It's where that conversation is where we get famous verses like, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. In that conversation, we have verses that have encouraged Christians for years and years, thousands of years. A conversation changed Nicodemus' life. Jesus used conversation to bring people closer to him. Listen to this. The Holy Spirit just gave me this. You can shout at someone and cause them and tell them everything they're doing wrong and shout and stand on the street corner with the picket sign and tell them they're going to hell and all that kind of stuff. But listen, they can hear you from way far off because you're so loud. But if you sit down in a conversation and invite them in, they have to come closer. Jesus didn't stand on a street corner shouting. He sat down and said, come close. Let's talk. Let's cultivate a conversation with someone to bring them closer to me. I don't know about you, but I think Jesus might be a good example for this kind of thing. Cultivating conversations. That's the way we plant seeds. That's the way we water. That's the way we bring people further down the line closer. But here's the problem. We... And I'm saying that we, we in this generation, we're not good at conversations. We're good at texting. We're good at Snapchat. We're good at Facebook. We're good at Instagram, but we're not so great with the face-to-face. And don't sit and say it's just the younger generation. No, it's not. You go to a restaurant, don't care what age they are, you could be old as the hills. They're sitting on their phones, scrolling, not even talking to each other at the table. Come on. It's not just young people that have this problem. We're not so great with conversations. I want us to begin practicing, cultivating conversations with people. Not just a, hey, and I'm praying for you, but a, hey, let's sit down. Let me hear from you. Let me get to know you and understand you. And then I can have some influence in your life to take you further to Jesus. Come on. I want to give you just a couple of easy things to remember. First thing, prayer, care, and share. Real easy, rhyming, something to remember in your conversations and in, as you're praying for someone on your faith for the five list. Number one, prayer. It is essential to evangelism and discipleship for two reasons. Number one, you need to be prayed up. 
You need to be right with the Lord. You need to be strengthened in your faith if you're going to be effective in this area. And prayer does that. It keeps you where you need to be with the Lord so that you can carry the presence of Jesus with you into every conversation and encounter you have. And it also activates the Holy Spirit who responds to your prayers as you're praying for that person. So the first thing you do before you ever strike up a conversation, have you been praying for that person? Have you been praying and drawing closer to the Lord so that you can be prepared? So prayer over your faith for the five. And then care. Prayer and care. Find a way to show that person you truly care, love, and have concern for them. Think of your five on your list. What is one way that you can, for each of those five people, express care and concern for them over the next few weeks? Can you buy them a cup of coffee? Can you send them an encouraging message? Can you uh, uh, write a card or a note? Can you call to check up on them? Go and mow their lawn. You see the storm knock down a limb in their yard, and you go and take care of it for them. Whatever it might be, fill up their tank with gas at the station. Whatever it might be to express, hey, I truly care about you. I truly care about you. Too many times evangelism rings hollow because people can tell you don't really care. They want you they you they can tell you want them to hear your message, but you're not willing to care enough about them to meet their need. See, the care is so important in this discipleship. Many times before Jesus had a conversation with someone, you see that he first met their need. He healed them. He provided food to them. He rescued that woman from being stoned to death by the Pharisees. And then he told her, sin, uh, go and sin no more. See, he met the immediate need that they were feeling that expressed care and concern. And now all of a sudden that person is willing to listen to what you might have to say. So prayer, care, and then share. Share your story. Share your experience with Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have a testimony. You know, they... they they used to say, and I've heard it said before, there's, you don't have a testimony without a test. Well, listen, you might be a new baby Christian. I don't have a test yet, but you've got a testimony. Jesus Christ is my Lord. He loves me. He died for me. That's your testimony. Everybody has a story. Everybody has a testimony of what God has done. Share a Bible story with them. Share an encouraging scripture with them. If you let people know you care, they're more likely to let you share. Taking a genuine interest in a person builds the foundation needed to share the gospel when the time comes. The reason, the reason that there are still people in this county that have not heard about Jesus is because we haven't cared enough about them. When we start caring for them, they'll let us share with them. And as long as we sit and look down our noses at the alternative lifestyle or the, 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 the economic situation they're in or the addictive situation they're in, and we say, well, we'll, have, we'll care about you when you get up out of your mess, they're never going to let us share. They're never going to hear anything from us because there's a divide now. And we close the gap of that divide by caring for people just because they're people. Just because they're created in God's image, no matter what skin color they are, no matter what they do with their lives, who they're married to, what their kids act like, what they smell like, we just care for them no matter what. This is all a process. Remember, you might just be in the seed stage. You might just be planting a seed. You might be the first person that uh, they've ever experienced a Christian acting kindly toward them. You might be in the watering stage. Someone has 
has heard about Jesus, they know, but it might, they might have some flawed ideas, their understanding might be incomplete, and you get a chance to take them a little further down the line. It may take some time before the harvest comes. If you're a farmer, you know that you don't get the harvest immediately. There's a process, and there takes time. So don't be discouraged when you can't see anything happening on the surface because you're in a season of compassionately praying for that person and intentionally caring for that person and then having waiting for God to open an opportunity for you to share what that person needs to hear. One last thing really quick and then one quick Bible story and we'll be done. In your conversations, as you're cultivating conversations with people, sharing Jesus with them, remember this really easy acronym, SALT. Salt. Start a conversation. Strike up a conversation with someone. Take the opportunity when you're down at the cafe or when you're at work to not just sit in your corner and keep to yourself. Get out of your comfort zone a little bit and start up a conversation of someone you've already been praying and caring for. Don't put somebody on this list that you're not willing to start a conversation with. I want them to get saved, but I don't want to have to talk to them. Come on. How ridiculous is that? Start a conversation with somebody. Initiate the relationship. I want to encourage you, begin practicing that art of conversation with people. In that conversation, ask questions. It's not just you doing all the talking. Ask questions. Truly get to know that person. Ask them about their life, their interests, their experience. The only way to truly show you care someone is to begin to develop a true interest in them. Evangelism is not just checking off your Christian to-do list. It's about caring enough about that person to get to know them and their life situation. And I promise you, you'll find out some things that you didn't realize about what was going on in their life and maybe why it's been so difficult for them. Listen, your ability to establish influence with someone lies in your capacity to listen to them lies more in your capacity to listen to them than it does in your capacity to talk. You might say, I can't share my faith with someone. I don't know all the scriptures, and I don't know all the right things to say. Most of the job isn't saying anything. It's listening. It's saying, okay, let me under listen to actually understand that person. A lot of times we listen just so that we can know how to respond. You know, think about last time you argued with your spouse. You weren't really listening. You were just wait waiting for that key word to tell you what you could say back. That's not real listening. Listening is, is putting, uh, putting away every distraction. Put down your phone. Take your watch off. Make eye contact. Truly communicate that you care about what that person has said and what their experience is in life. Don't just listen so you can respond, but listen so you can understand. Somebody needs to write that down. Don't just listen so that you can respond, but listen so you can understand. The person you're talking to is not a project, they're a person. The Bible says it's foolish to listen but not try to understand. Proverbs 18:2, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Some of y'all need to like put that like on your phone somewhere so that you know before you post anything to read that verse. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding but only expressing his opinion. James 1.19, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Just because they see life different from you doesn't mean that you've got to get angry, and that you've got to get upset, because you've already showed them when you do that you don't really care about them. You care about you being right. Listen. 
Be slow to speak and slow to anger. And then finally, tell your story. When you've built a true connection, you've prayed for that person, you've developed a genuine care for that person, you've gotten to know that person and sought to understand that person, look for an opportunity to testify about Jesus. Share your personal story, your personal God story. Share how Jesus met a need in your life and how you'll never be the same. Begin to share what you've experienced. You don't have to know all the verses and all the scripture. You just have to know what happened to you. You say, hey, I don't have all the debates. I don't, I'm not, I, none of us in this room are, are big scholars on, on the different debates and all the, you, I don't know all that kind of stuff. I don't, I don't need all of that. I, I have a story. I got a testimony. I know what Jesus has done in my life. And let me tell you about it. And I do know this verse. He's no respecter of persons. And if he can do it for me, he can do it for you. Come on. One last story. John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Jesus sits down and has a conversation with the woman at the well. He cultivates a conversation. I lost my spot. John chapter 4. Jesus learned that Pharisees had heard he was baptizing disciples. He left Judea and departed for Galilee. There was a woman at the well. Jacob's well was there, verse 6. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. See, he started a conversation. Now listen how, incur- how important this is. In this day, in this culture, a Jewish person would never have established and started a conversation with a Samaritan. They were, they were enemies. They were, there was a racist kind of thing going on where Samaritans were seen as, as half-breeds, as people who weren't worthy of conversation. And so Jesus is getting out of his comfort zone and breaking down some barriers to start a conversation with someone. His first step, start a conversation. Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away in the city. But the Samaritan woman said, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from a woman from Samaria? For Jews have no dealing with Samaritans. And Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman, she asked a question. See, they're having a conversation. She asked a question, and she says, She says, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with. And the well is deep. Where do you get your living water? See, isn't that funny? They, people, if, when you start really establishing conversations with people and showing care, you don't have to start talking about Jesus. They'll ask you. They'll ask you what's different about you. Where'd you get that living water from? Where'd you get all that joy from? Where'd you get that ability to forgive? Like Pastor Katie said, how can you do that? Where do you get this water from? Jesus said, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water. The fish will jump in the boat if you just start fishing. If you just start cultivating conversations with people, they'll say, hey, I want what you've got. I want what you've He sat down. He broke down a barrier, an economic barrier, a racial barrier, uh, a religious barrier. And he said, I'm going to sit down and talk to this woman. And her life was changed. Now, if you go on and read the story, you know that she keeps asking him questions. And eventually, 
He doesn't compromise on his views on sin. He still says, hey, you've done some things wrong in your life. You've got to deal with this. So it's cultivating and being friends with non-believers doesn't mean that you have to compromise what you believe. It just means you got to maybe change how you talk about it. And so he goes on, he, he says, you're, you're living with a man who's not your husband. You've been married five times before. And she's just marveled at this, can't believe it. She, she comes to believe that maybe this is the Messiah. And if you go and look at this, um, let me skip down here. So the woman, she goes, and she goes back into the town, and she starts to tell people all of this conversation. She's been made a disciple, and she becomes a disciple maker. She goes, and you look at this, many Samaritans, verse 39, from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He, she said, he told me all that I ever did. She had a testimony when she had an encounter with Jesus. She went and told somebody else what she had experienced. She had a conversation initiated with her that was life-changing, and then she went and started conversations with other people that changed their life, and revival broke out in the town. It says in verse 40, So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and they, he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you have said that we believe, but because for what we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this indeed is the savior of the world it all started with a conversation not just one woman's life was changed but a whole town was changed what if this week just one person in this room today cultivated a conversation with someone who doesn't know jesus and revival could break out in an entire town because one person broke down that cultural barrier, broke down that language barrier, broke down the racial barrier, the economic barrier, and you said, no matter what they look like, smell like, act like, talk like, I'm just going to start a conversation with someone who I think maybe needs to hear about Jesus. Just taking them, someone that's on this negative side of the scale, in one conversation, and my only goal is to show them I care enough about them to help them get further and closer to Jesus. What if that's how we started looking at our job description as Christians? Just bump people closer to Jesus. Just nudge them a little bit. Some of you got kids, you got to drag them. But some way or another, Every interaction and conversation that I have, my goal is, Lord, what can I do, say, act, share that'll help someone be closer to you?